the story goes there's a preacher, a priest, and a rabbi. Well, you knew eventually he had to come to one of these. So there's a preacher, a priest, and a rabbi, and they meet together, and they're having their usual morning cup of coffee at the local coffee shop. And on this particular morning, they're discussing the point at, the point at which uh, life begins. And as you can imagine, they're having a heated debate, and uh, finally the, pre- the priest goes first, and he says, I believe that life begins at conception. There's no question about it. It's clearly taught in the Bible. Life begins at conception. The rabbi thought about his answer for a minute and goes, well, I disagree with you. I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that life begins at birth. And uh, they were going back and forth, and finally the, uh, the preacher just sat there for a minute, and they looked at him for the deciding and casting vote. And he said, you know, actually, I think both of you are wrong. And they looked at him like, what? He goes, yeah, I, I think both of you are wrong. I, I believe personally that uh, life begins when the last child is left home and the dog dies. I dared another dog joke in here, but but uh, anyway, I, I don't. You know, we can debate as the debate rages on as to the uh, the beginning of life. One thing is, uh, I think we can all at least agree upon, and that's this: that uh, where there is life, there is pain, and when there where there is young life, there will be growing pains associated with that life. And all of us, at one time or another, have experienced the share, our share of growing pains. Room. All of us have experienced our share of growing pains, whether it's the actual physical pains that are associated with muscle and bone growth, or the, uh, the emotional pains and the mental pains that come with making wrong choices and the consequences that follow. So we've all experienced our share of growing pains. And uh, you know, while growing pains are commonplace with physical life, they're also equally true of spiritual life. And that's the question and the issue that Paul addresses in his letter to the first Thessalonians, or the first letter to the Thessalonians. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as he deals with this whole area of growing pains. Now, it wasn't, an easy, to be, it wasn't easy to be a Christian in the church at Thessalonica. And uh, these new believers were f- facing a severe persecution and suffering because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And their situation, as we look at this, explains some of the choice of the words that Paul uses throughout this lesson. But if you've got your Bibles open to chapter 2, let's start with verses 13 through 20, and this is what we'll deal with this morning. We read these words, and he says, And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, and that is the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. It says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but they are hostile to all men. It says, They are hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. With the result, they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. But we, brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while in person, but not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. 
In this particular passage, as we've seen throughout this message so far, far, the Apostle Paul uses words that talk about persecution. For example, he uses the word in chapter 1 and verse 6, he talks about the affliction. It says, having received the word in much tribulation or affliction. The definition means even with a lot of outside uh, pressure and circumstances, you receive the word from us. He talks about in chapter 2, verse 14, he uses the word suffer. For you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that, who also endured the same sufferings. And the word that he uses here is the same word sufferings that are used of Jesus Christ's own sufferings. The physical, emotional, and the, um, and the uh, mental anguish that he went through. He talks about being persecuted or driven out or rejected by their families and their friends and their businesses and their associates. And he goes on in verse 15, he uses the word, as we see, they're not pleasing, but they're hostile to men. The word hostile actually means contrary, or in some uh, translations, it's the word contrary. And what it means by definition are winds that blow against or hinder progress. And I was thinking about that this morning. I got up early and went for a run in the sand and the winds are blowing. And I'm thinking about just the spiritual truth that the bottom line is this. When you are committed to do what's right before God in a world that is contrary to the things of God, we must expect opposition and persecution. We must expect those who will be hostile to the things that we have to say and to share with them. And it was kind of like running into the Santa Ana winds. And it just, it, it, you know, it impedes your progress. Yet you realize that that is exactly what's before us and ahead of us. And so as these people had just put their faith and trust in Christ, the Apostle Paul wants to reassure them that, you know what, when opposition is thrown in your path or when there are people who are contrary to what you have to say and stand for and they want to stop you from doing those things, expect it because it's going to come. It's like going out and trying to run against the wind, hey, just expect that that's the type of opposition that you're going to get. And so as we look at that, what he's saying, if you remember the apostle uh, Peter said this, he said, hey, you know what, when you face persecution and tribulation and trials and opposition and all those things you're going to experience in this life, don't be surprised and what? And keep on rejoicing. And that's exactly what Paul has to say here as well. In the midst of their suffering, the Thessalonian Christians experienced joy. It says they received Paul's uh, ministry of the word in much affliction with joy in verse 6. It says they received it in much tribulation, yet with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And Paul was burdened for them, yet he also had a joy as he shared with them. That in the midst of this tribulation and persecution and opposition and all the stuff that we go through here on earth, we can have joy in the midst of all of it. Why? Because Jesus said this. He says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer or have joy. Why? Because I have overcome the world. And it was a fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave. Hey, you're going to experience persecution, tribulation, trials, and all the rest of it. But hey, be of good cheer. Have joy because I've overcome this world. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. And so as we look at all these, we need to ask ourselves the question, how do we manage through times of persecution and suffering? What resources does God give us to get us through such times and comfort us in these growing pains that we'll go through? And basically, in this particular section of 1 Thessalonians, Paul gives his listeners three divine resources that are available to them and also to us as we go through these difficult times, as we meet with opposition uh, of the things of God. The first thing he says is this. Our first resource is that we have God's Word within us. God's Word within us. Look at verse 13. He says this, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as, what, the Word of men, but as it actually is, the Word of God, which is at work in you who, who, you, who believe. 
I like that. He's saying that, hey, you know what? The greatest resource that we have, and if you remember what we discussed the last time we were together, when we are talking about importance or order of priority, we are to be biblically minded in all that we do. The greatest resource God gives any of his children to get through difficult times is the comfort of his word within us. Let me give you an example of that. Turn back to Romans chapter 10 for a second. In Romans chapter 10, Paul lays out again this whole idea of, hey, having God's word in us is what will get us through the difficult times of life. Notice what he says. Romans 10, so let's start with verse 8. It says, but what does it say? What does the word of God say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and what? And in your heart. God's word within you. That is the word of faith that, you, that we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It says, for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? He says, and how shall they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You notice the progression that he uses here? He's talking about, hey, you know what? How can we believe unless we hear? And how can we hear unless someone's sent? And then when somebody's sent, what are they sent to tell us? And the bottom line is they're to tell us about the Word of God. And as we have the Word of God in our hearts, we believe resulting in righteousness. But with our mouth we confess resulting in salvation. You know, I think that's why Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. It's not a fact that we go around and tell people about Jesus that makes us right with God. It's a fact that we've already believed in Jesus Christ, that we're righteous in our heart because we've believed in him. And we can't help but to go out, as the Thessalonians were doing, and proclaiming the truth. It reverberated. We had a great meal last night with friends who were in one of our Bible studies that live on the East Coast. They came out for the weekend. And this guy went through a radical transformation when he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the thing that he couldn't figure out and he couldn't understand is how can anyone whose life has been so drastically touched by the God of the universe when he put his faith and trust in Christ not go around and tell as many people as he could? He said, do you realize we run around in the world we're in and we tell everybody about everything that we think is a great deal? If you've got a great investment and a great stock portfolio and you've got information about finances that will change somebody's life, you can't wait to tell them about it. And what he couldn't understand and what God can't understand, frankly, is that either. Is that, you know what, if you've been touched by the grace of God, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've been made righteous for God because you believed in his name, that you can't help but go out and shout it to the world. And that's why if you look at that, believing is in our heart, but professing is with our mouth. One of the greatest misunderstandings in the world today is that we do not tell people that we are who we are because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We allow them to try to figure it out on their own. They look at our life and they say, boy, there's something different and special about you. And then they come through the whole list of things. Well, maybe you've matured. Maybe you've grown up. Well, it's because you've stopped drinking. or It's because you got an education. Or it's because now you're starting to go to church. Or now you're starting to read your Bible. It's because of all the things that the world thinks they have to do. It must be something to do with the efforts that you've put in instead of what God has done in your life. 
We have got to tell people that it's because of Jesus Christ that we are who we are today because otherwise they'll be confused and try to figure it out on their own. We need to understand and recognize that. God's word within us is our greatest resource to get us through times of difficulty and opposition and persecution. And as he says here, it's, hey, you know what? If we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it's the heart man believes. And it results in righteousness or right, being right before God. But with the mouth he confesses. And it seals the whole package resulting in salvation. I love that as you look at that. You know, what he's trying to say is Paul was thankful. Look what he said. He goes, and, and we also thank God. Why? continually we thank God. Why did, they, why did he thank God? Because they had the right attitude about the Word of God. They had the right attitude about the Word of God. Now what I want to share with you are three attitudes that you and I need to have as far as the Word of God is concerned. The right attitude. He thanked God every day that these people had the right attitude about the Word of God. Why? Because there was something special about the Word of God. That's what he's trying to get across to us. And we need to recognize and understand it. The first thing is this. Three attitudes. Ask yourself this. Is this my attitude toward the Word of God? Do I have an attitude of appreciation? Do I appreciate the Word of God for what it is? And that is the Word of God. You know, they received it not as the Word of men, but as it truly is the Word of God. Do not ever get confused that somehow the Bible is no different than any other book that you can go to to seek counsel. The Word of God is inspired by God. The word means inspiration, means God breathed. It came from the mouth and the mind of God. Literally, God breathed it. Holy men of God who are moved by the Holy Spirit wrote it. That God's put it into written form so that we can read it and appreciate it. It was written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. And there's 66 different books that are all in agreement that were written over a time span of 1,500 years. It's a miraculous work by the God of this universe, the Creator Himself. It is not to be confused with anything else that you can turn to for guidance and for counsel. You know, as we read in, as we read in Romans chapter 10, it's the Word of God that transforms lives. You notice what he said. It's the Word of God. Well, how can we believe unless we hear? And how can we hear unless someone's sent? But you know what? What are they supposed to tell us when they come to us? They're supposed to tell us that it's the Word of God. This, thus saith the Lord. This is from the mouth of God Himself. We're to appreciate and understand it. The world we live in is really confused by it. We need to recognize and understand that salvation is from God. And it's found in the Word of God and nowhere else. Here's a, here's a little article that I read the other day and I thought, you know what, isn't this typically, typical of the confusion that we have in our culture today as to what it means to be a Christian? This is what it said. James Ship uh, Jr., former gang member who turned his life around after being shot six times in a 1993 incident, is recovering from wounds he suffered during a shooting this weekend at a Santa Ana gas station. Listen carefully. Ship, who had transformed himself into a Christian and a professional boxer wound up swallowing a bullet that had hit him in the face. See, he transformed himself into a Christian. How ludicrous is it in this world that we live in that people think that somehow you and I have the power or the ability to transform ourselves into a Christian. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then also to everybody else, to the Gentile. 
What he's saying is it's God's Word that transforms dead people spiritually into a live person spiritually. It's not my works. It's by God's grace we're saved through faith, the Word of God says. It's not because I want to clean up my act and I want to change my life. It is only the Word of God that has the power to transform a dead person into a live person. We do not transform ourselves. But that's what the world wants to hear. Otherwise, they have to what? Get on their knees before a holy God and say, I can't do it on my own, and I believe what you say about Jesus Christ being the only way. It's fascinating as you look at it. You know, the believers at Thessalonica uh, appreciated the word of God spoken by Paul, not as words or philosophies or opinion of man, but for what it truly is, and that's the word of God. What they understood was this, and I hope you appreciate the same thing. The speaker is just a messenger. He is not the one who is the author of the message. Paul and anyone else that proclaims the Word of God is simply a union messenger, a union, you know, a Western Union messenger for the Word of God. This is not my opinion. These are not my philosophies. This is not what I want you to somehow or another embrace in your life. The bottom line is this, that all that we are here to do is proclaim the message of the Word of God. Let me give you an example of that. Look at the 1 Thessalonians again, and you may recall in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul had this to say about the message that he delivered to the Thessalonians. In verse 3 of chapter 2, we read this. Notice what he says. He says, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Our exhortation. Now think about that and go to Acts chapter 13. And I want you to look at the same word that's used in a different setting, but I think it will help you understand what he's talking about. Our exhortation, chapter 13. Look at verse 14. I want you to listen carefully to what's going on here. It says, But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian, Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went down into the temple or into the synagogue and sat down. It says, And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it now. Notice the word? Our exhortation does not come from impurity or deceit or error. What's he saying? As they came into the synagogue and as the word of God was read to the people, they went to Paul and said, Brother, if you've got any words of exhortation at this point, say it right now. If you have anything to say to the congregation, say it right now. Now you're thinking, oh wow, what's Paul going to say? Well, here's what he said. He goes, and Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he said this, Men of Israel and all of you who fear God, listen to what's about to be said. He says, The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. He's going through and he's re, you know, rehashing their history, which they were familiar with. And he said, And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. It says, and after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. From the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel Savior, Jesus. If you remember, the angel came and said to Mary, you shall name him Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sin. And after John had proclaimed, his coming, proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. 
And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he, but behold, one who is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not even worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the word of this salvation is sent out, it's proclaimed, it's shouted from the streets, it is to be known throughout the whole world. And that is this, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him into death, they, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried all that, out, all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. In many days he appeared to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now as witnesses to the people. And we preach, proclaim, shout to you the good news of the, promises, the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this very promise, that he would send a Savior into the world to save his people from their sins. And that he raised up Jesus that is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to decay, he was spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he also says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow thy holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But whom God raised, he did not undergo decay. So therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, speaking of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is now proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. He says, take heed, therefore, so that that thing spoken in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers. And marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Don't you love that? He said, Paul, what do you have to share with us? Hey, I don't have anything to share with you other than what God wants me to share with you. And his message is very simple. If you haven't been paying attention, he has done what he has promised to do. And the scriptures have proclaimed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the scriptures proclaimed that his Holy One would not undergo decay. David died and was buried with his fathers. And he is decaying. For those of you who are confused, wondering whether he was talking about David or his Savior that he would send. And the Bible says that he sent his Savior and he would not undergo decay. And even though he died, God raised him from the dead as he promised. And this Jesus who came back from the dead and has walked through the streets and you saw him and you heard him, you handled him, you touched him, you saw the things that he did. He is the Savior of the world. And that's all that I got to proclaim to you that God's promises have been fulfilled what a wonderful truth it wasn't his opinion it wasn't his philosophy it wasn't you know well i'm thinking that you guys should maybe i'll give you 10 reasons why serving idols isn't a good thing it's like well what do you have to proclaim to us here's what i got to proclaim to you that god's promises have been fulfilled in the person of jesus christ that if you believe in him you will not perish but have everlasting life that's all that we're here to tell you and how did he do it he used the word of god to do it the Word of God within him, that he, that he understood, that he memorized, that he meditated, that he had as a part of his life. He used it and interjected it throughout this time where he was telling them about Jesus and he quoted the Psalms, he quoted the Old Testament, he quoted the Word of God as God proclaimed that he would do these things. And that's exactly what he did. You know, it's a fascinating thing. You know, the Spirit of God uses the man of God who delivers the Word of God to produce a Son of God who was born again of God. And that's the truth. Now I want to ask you a question. When you hear the Word of God proclaimed to you, how do you respond to it? 
Do you appreciate it for what it is, truly the Word of God spoken to you? How do you know if you appreciate it or not appreciate it? Well, it's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Because if you look at verse 43, here's what happened with those who were listening. When the meeting of the synagogue broke, had broken up, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear what? To hear the truth of the Word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul. And they were blaspheming. Isn't that fascinating, the reaction you're going to have to the truth of the Word of God? Now, I'm going to ask you something. For those who appreciated the Word of God, how, how did they show that they appreciated it? They received it as it is, the Word of God. For those who do not receive it as the Word of God, what did they do? They became angry, and they tried to contradict it, and they began to blaspheme even God, that God was somehow lying to them that this wasn't true. And their reaction was they became angry about it. Now, here's a fascinating thing, and here's where we get very personal and very practical. But here's what I run into on a somewhat regular basis. I hear this in response. Well, you know what? I, you know, I don't, I don't agree with what Chuck said. Okay? Then they ask the question, well, what did he say? One particular person one day said, well, he said that the only way that you could ever get to heaven is by believing in Jesus Christ. That there was no other way to get there. That you had to receive Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can get into heaven. And I don't agree with what he said. Well, you know, the question is this. Do they, not dis do they disagree with me? Or do they disagree with God? Because God said it. I just repeated it for them. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No man comes unto the Father but through me. There's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved other than Jesus Christ. What shall we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Over and over and over again, God's Word is pretty clear that that's the only way that anyone will get to heaven. But I got this, but I don't, I don't agree with what Chuck said. Hey, it isn't me you disagree with. You've got a bigger problem than that. You disagree with God. Because I didn't write it. I'm repeating it. Do you recognize, and if you appreciate the Word of God, how important what it is that I'm trying to get across at this point? I don't agree what he said. What did he say? Well, he said you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't cheat, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't covet other people's goods, uh, 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 my neighbor's wife, that I shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, that, you know, that, that uh, you know, I shouldn't tell dirty jokes, I shouldn't get drunk, or I shouldn't do drugs. I don't agree with what he said. It's not me. It's God. And if you have a beef, take it to Him. I'm just a messenger. I've had folks come to me after a you know, time of Bible study and say, you know, did my wife call you? Surely you must know. Did my husband call you? Hey, I like this. I ran into this here's a little cartoon for you. Two people leaving church talking to the minister on the way out. Gosh, that was a wonderful sermon. Thanks for not mentioning me by name. <laughs> Don't you like that? That's kind of like, you know, and I realize that some people are joking when they come to me and say, oh man, you know, did my wife call you? But, but unfortunately, I spoke this past week at a, at a breakfast meeting and a guy came up to me afterwards and he went like this to me. Hey, uh, come here. What? Why did you choose to talk about what you shared with today?
Like, what, what do you mean? Well, why did you choose that topic? I really want to know. I said, I don't know, it was in the Bible, so I thought it'd be a good thing to share. <laughs> this we said, oh, never mind then. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was like, you know, he, he thought, oh, you know, he, he thought, oh, there must, somebody must have called you and told you that we really need to deal with this and this is the issue. And what's hilarious was, to the, I don't have a clue what he's talking about, but one thing that I do know is this, that you know what, why, why, does, why does that happen? Let me give you an example of why that happens. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Why does that happen? I love people that come to me and tell me, you know, I, this happens more in marriage series than anything else. But uh, you get people that come and say, you know, especially like wives, I say, you know, it would really be helpful sometime if you talked about how God finds favor with men who help their wives make the bed. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. They're kind of like, well, what, what, where, where, what passage are we going to with that one? Well, I'm sure you can, you know, just throw that out, you know, when you get a chance. Now, here's the thing. Let, let's just get this straight, all right? Do, me, do yourself and me a favor. Don't ever come to me and tell me what you think I should talk about sometimes. Because here's what happens. I'm just going to hear your side of it, and I'm going to mess it all up. See, now, you know, there's two sides to every story, right? You always have this happen. I know if somebody's having tr- problems in business or marriage problems or whatever, they come to you and they tell you your side and they paint it so that, you know, they are innocent and blameless and spotless before the Lord. And, uh, and then the other side comes and tells you and you go like this, wow, there's two innocent, completely innocent people here. It's amazing they're having the troubles that they're having, you know. They're just so, so godly and wise in how they go about life. Um, but, but then what's interesting is you've got two sides to everything and then you've got the truth and God always covers that. God always covers the truth. So it's like, hey, look at Hebrews chapter 4. Remember these pass- this, this passage? Verses 12 through 13. For the Lord, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Why do people come and say, did my wife call you? Did my husband call you? Did my business partner call you? Hey, if you got, is, some, is somebody telling on me? Hey, you know what? Recognize and understand this. It's God that you're dealing with. Because God knows what's going on in your heart. Not even what you're doing externally. God knows your thoughts and your intentions and your heart. And when the Word of God goes out, it penetrates your heart and it convicts you before God to the point where you think, somebody had to tell me because nobody else knows about this. Oh, God knows. God knows what's going on. And when you've got the Word of God within you, there's one thing that will be true of your life. You will appreciate it for what it is. This is not the words of men, but the Word of God. And Paul thanked God continually that these young believers understood this from the very beginning, that when the Bible was opened and the Word of God was taught, that they did not deny it as coming from men whom they can just blow off and say, I don't like your counsel, I'm going to go somewhere else for counsel. But they accepted it and received it for what it was. They appreciated it as if God Himself was speaking to them directly and saying, this is what you need to do. They appreciated the Word of God. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Do you appreciate the Word of God? The Bible says if you do, you appreciate the Word of God more than food. Job said, I've esteemed your words more than necessary food. 
You appreciate it more than money? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, You know what? I appreciate the Word of God more than all the riches, thousands of gold and silver, of all fine gold, and even the greatest spoils, God. I appreciate Your Word more than anything else that anyone could ever offer me. That's what it means to appreciate the Word of God. How about this one? Do you appreciate the Word of God? And would you rather be sitting and studying and reading and being into the Word of God than even sleeping? Listen to what we read in Psalm 119. My eyes anticipate the night watches. Why? That I may meditate on the Word of God. The Jews had three night watches at sunset to ten and ten to two and two until dawn. And the psalmist said, hey, I gave up sleeping three times a night because I anticipated that time when it was quiet and I can study and meditate on the Word of God because then I can hear God clearly. I appreciate the Word of God. You know what's amazing to me? We can't even get out of bed to come and hear the Word of God taught. We got people, and I realize, I realize that, you know, there are some who are the messengers of God's Word that could take the living and powerful Word of God and just about kill it and put you to sleep. I've been there. I say, I know this is the Word of God, and I know it's living and active, but can you make it live and active through someone that is alive and active? You know, I've seen people make a good effort to kill it. It's alive, I'm going to kill it. You know, but we need to understand something. It is the Word of God, and it's alive. It transforms lives. And as we're sitting here, you know, it's amazing to me. Now, here's, here's a, a true story. I had a gentleman come up to me one time and said, Look, I just want to let you know that if you see me sleeping, it's because of the medication that I'm taking. And it was true. And, and, and he went home to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago and I shared that with his wife at the funeral. I said, I don't know if Carol Dale ever told you this, but he came to me and said, if I ever see him sleeping, it's because of the medication. And I told her, I said, you know, I don't think I should ever tell that story because there are going to be a whole bunch of people medicated from now on. I said, like, I just want to let you know, if you ever see me nodding off, it's not because I am not appreciating the Word of God. Now I want you to stop and think about something for a minute. Could you imagine going into your boss's office to have a meeting with your boss and he was sitting there talking to you and you were going like this. You know, if you're going to do it, at least go straight because then the drool usually will accumulate right here in your lower lip. Because if you turn one way or the other, then, you know, it's really nasty for the people sitting next to you. Just want to let you know. Now, can you imagine for a moment you're sitting in there with your boss. He's talking to you and you're like, you realize that every time we open the Word of God, that that's what we do if we don't appreciate the Word of God? Here's how I know whether you appreciate the Word of God. When the Word of God's being talked, taught, what are you doing? Well, on Tuesday, we're going to have Chili Riano... <laughs> Haven't had that. Wednesday, you need to go to the doctor's at 10. Do you realize what we're doing here? Let me just, hey, do yourself a huge favor. Don't go meet with your boss if you're going to fall asleep. And don't come to hear the Word of God if you're not going to pay attention to what He has to say. Can we be any less respectful than that? Do you realize in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah opened the Word of God, that Nehemiah got to sit down and everybody else stood up. That's how much respect they had for the Word of God. And you know what they did? They stood for four hours straight and kept saying, Preach it, brother. 
I'll tell you what, I've been to some churches, man, I love it. And especially with, with the culture that we went through with some of our different Bible studies where 80% of maybe the people who were coming were from black churches or, or, or African-American. And man, you open the Word of God and you go on and they, they, you never know when it's going to end. But you know what? We got people who's like, preach it, brother! You got three more minutes to preach it! I just saw that too. Oh, man. They appreciated the Word of God. You know what else they did? They appropriated the Word of God. You know what it means? Jesus said this, Be careful that let him who have ears, let him hear. Jesus said, you know what? We need to hear the Word of God. You need to take every opportunity to hear the Word of God. Be careful that you hear the Word of God. Isn't that rather interesting? That we hear it. Jesus also said this, Take heed what you hear in Mark 4.24. Take heed what you hear. Isn't that interesting? Because here's the way this works. The Word of God is preached and proclaimed to you for 45 minutes, for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, whatever I can get away with. Um, you go to a Bible study and you, you study the Word of God and it's proclaimed to you and you get maybe an hour a week, if that, that some of you are getting. And Jesus said, be careful not only that you hear, be careful what you hear. Because the rest of this world is in opposition to the things of God. And it's contrary to the things of God. And so what we do is we turn on the radio and we listen to a talk show that we shouldn't even listen to. We listen to secular counselors that we shouldn't even listen to. We watch television shows, talk shows that we shouldn't even be watching. Why? Because Jesus said, take heed what you hear. Because if your mind is being infiltrated by that which is in opposition to God, it'll drown out the truth of what you just learned. I've seen churches that after the Word of God is preached and after the Word of God is taught, you know, the church will say, hey, let's just take five minutes and let's just meditate on the Word of God. Let's allow the Spirit of God now to speak to you through His Word as to what? They, they appreciated it. They appropriated it. They thought about it in their mind. And then the kicker is always this. What? They applied it. They applied it. Be careful that we're not just hearers of the Word, but we're doers also. Application is how we show that we appreciate it. If somebody will come to you and say, hey, I need some counsel in business, or I need some counsel in my relationship, or I need some counsel in some area of life, and I really appreciate what you have to say. And then you say it, and they take it in, and they appropriate, appropriate it, but then they don't apply it. You know what they're saying to you? I don't appreciate what you just said. I say that I appreciated it, because otherwise then you know you're wasting your time with me. But if they don't apply it, they don't appreciate it, no matter what they tell you. And God says the same thing. Do you appreciate what God is saying to you today? Do you appropriate it and you take it in and you meditate it on it and you chew on it and you put it as part of your life? Then what God's saying you're going to do is this. Then you'll go out and you'll apply it. You'll live it. What must I do to be saved? There was always, what do I got to do now? Here's what you got to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. What are we supposed to do now? You got two coats, give one away. What am I supposed to do now? Hey, you know what? You're supposed to stay awake. You're supposed to appreciate the Word of God. You're supposed to respect it for what it is. Not the Word of man, not me or anybody else, but God speaking directly to you. And when God says to do it, you don't even try to challenge it or hesitate. You just say, yes, God, I'll do what you say because I've turned from serving idols and I've turned to trust and serve the living God. And God said it and I believe it and I'm going to do it. Boy, wouldn't that be awesome to have uh, uh, you know God's people going into the world and doing what God's called us to do? There's nothing better than that. What am I supposed to do? Do 
do what he says to do. And what's amazing is, you know what, sometimes what God's telling you to do, it may not be the same thing that God will tell somebody else to do in the same circumstances that aren't clearly defined in Scripture. You know, should I start my own business? I don't know what's God telling you to do. Then step out in faith and trust Him. I don't know what He's telling you to do. If He says, hey, if He says, should I keep living with my girlfriend? No, God's telling you not to. Move out. There are some things that are very clear. Am I lying? Stop lying. Am I cheating? Stop cheating. Am I stealing? Hey, don't steal no more. You know, am I lazy and sitting around? Then go work. I mean, there are some things that are clear. There are other things that's a matter of, I need to listen to what God's voice is saying to me. I need to pray about it. I need to listen to Him. I need to search the Scripture. I need to talk to my spouse. I need to talk to godly counsel. And then if I'm convinced that's what God wants me to do, then go do it. And, and count on this. There are going to be a whole bunch of people in opposition to what you're going to do. Because why? Because you walk by faith, not by sight. Isn't that awesome? These were going to be quick ones anyway. <laughs> Number two. Hey, you know what? What's the other resource God's given us? God's people around us. God's people around us. For you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove them out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Isn't that interesting? You see what the Jews did? God came and, and provided through their nation a Savior that would save the world from their sins. The Jews rejected Him. Not all Jews. Some rejected Him. And you know what they said? If we're going to reject Him, we're going to make sure no one else believes in Him either. Isn't that sad? But isn't that true how often how true that is of our lives? I don't want to date her anymore, but I don't want any other guy to date her ever again. That's the way we are. We're selfish. We're possessive. And they said, hey, we don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. But we certainly don't want anybody else to believe it either. And they try to stop Him. It says in this, to the Gentiles, so they may be saved. In this way, they also always heap on their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. You know what God says? How do I get through growing pains of life? Hey, here's how I do it. Knowing that there are other people in God's family who are there to support me, who are going through the same thing that I'm going through. I'm not suffering on my own. Some of us get so self-centered. Oh, you know, my family's persecuting me. Oh, I didn't get the promotion at my job. Oh, I'm the only Christian on my team. Oh, Hey, you're not alone. And what you're going through is nothing like a lot of people are going through throughout this world who are being persecuted for His name's sake. Stop being so, so self-centered and self-righteous. Hey, you know what? What we need are people around us who can support us through all of that. That's why small groups are so important. That's why it's important to have a good nucleus of Christian and godly friends who will be able to say to you, yeah, even though you're going through persecution, you're still doing the right thing and we're here to support you. You're not alone. God's Word within us, God's people around us are what get us through the growing pains and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging each other and all the more as what? As we see the day that Jesus Christ will return drawing near. Isn't that awesome? Which ties in this last thing, and we'll close on this. But look what he says. God's Word within us, God's people around us, and God's glory before us. 1 Thessalonians 17-20 through 20. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short while, he's saying, hey, I was torn away from you in person, but you were never out of my thoughts. I was always giving thanks to God for you. I was always praying for you, and you were always in my heart. 
He says, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. So we just want to let you know that even though people around you are saying, we bailed on you, we didn't bail on you. They wouldn't let us come to you. They stopped us. They drove us out. And they don't want us to come and encourage you and support you because they don't want us to share the Word of God. He says, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. There's that word, hindered or thwarted us. It has to do with a road that was so broken that you couldn't travel over it. And God allowed him to do that, by the way, because Satan couldn't have done it unless God allowed it, because there was a greater purpose. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Look, he says, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. On Friday night... These friends of ours who were out from Pennsylvania and they were staying up in Ventura, they called and said, hey, we want to get together with you guys and uh, we want to meet you. And his agent had given him some tickets for the Laker game. Laker game, Friday night, Halloween night. All right? We're driving to the Forum, bumper-to-bumper traffic, and I'm really wrestling with my attitude. Because the first thing I thought is Friday night... L.A., Halloween, no. But then I'm thinking, but our friends want to see us and meet us, and I really want to see them too. So the whole time I'm struggling, I get this attitude driving on freeway. And then they call us and they got lost. So we're, on the, we're doing the cell phone directions. Okay, do you get the 405 yet? I oh, am, yeah, brother. I think I passed the 405 up. All right, well, let's see. What's next? All right, there's the 110. Do you see that yet? And we're going through all these directions and stuff, you know? And so... The whole time I'm really struggling with all this, but there's one thing that kept motivating me to go through this aggravation that I was going through. And that was I couldn't wait to see the smile on their face. He is the biggest dude that you ever see in your life. And so we're talking on the cell phone, and he's going, and I'm going, I'm just doing the animation thing. You know, well, wait, wait, now, okay, make a right on Manchester. Do you make a right on Manchester? And I hear this. You don't have to point like that. If you're going to point, then point over to the left because that's where we are. And I look over and he's got... <laughs> he has a big smile, man. And I'm thinking, that's it. That's what it's all about. You see, the expectation of being with them and their presence and spending time with them and just sharing the Lord with them because God has done a miraculous work in this man's life and he loves the Lord and he's on fire. And I mean, it's just another miracle of God. And you know what's exciting? Then I'm sitting there thinking, hey, you know what? God's glory before us. Look what Paul said. You know what got Paul through all of the aggravation he was going through in life? The day when Jesus comes again and all of these people have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he was faithful to what? To proclaim the word of God. God was faithful to have chosen them. They were faithful to have received the word of God, became born again of God, that they would all spend eternity in the presence of God And you know what got them through all the trials and the tribulation and the persecution and the opposition? You know why Jesus said, have good cheer here on earth because I've overcome this world. As we anxiously await and anticipate Jesus coming again, he was excited because they would be with him and he would be with them and they would spend eternity together in the presence of God. And there are going to be a whole bunch of smiles that my friend's smile, as big as it is and as big as he is, is going to pale in comparison to the smiles on the face of all of us who had the privilege to share the Word of God with another human being that received the Word of God for what it was, not the Word of men, but the Word of God. 
for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Folks, you don't even understand what you're missing. If you have not shared the word of God with people so that they would understand that God loves them and they could put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and if you have never seen another friend or family member or whomever born again of God and the transformation that takes place, then you can't even begin to understand the expression of joy that Paul had on his face when he's saying, man, I couldn't wait to see my brother in the Lord because of what God in his faithfulness did through his word. We need to be proclaiming and shouting to anyone who will listen that God loves them and there's no other name under heaven by which men will be saved than that of Jesus Christ. God's word within us, God's people around us, and God's glory before us. There's no reason to quit. Let's keep on keeping on. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the word of God that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it's your word that goes out and never comes back empty. God, may we become people who are not entertainers of men, people that are trying to promote their own agenda, but people who are faithful to share with others the truth of the Word of God, because in the Word is life. And the life is the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. And God, we're to be a light in the world ourselves as we share the truth of the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.